We're kicking off Brand Voice Runway with a series of interviews, what I call mini interviews. We'll be releasing the full length discussions later this month, but to give you a sense of the show, we wanted to start with something a little bit shorter because this is a sit down show, they're conversations. We go in depth, we dig deep. I'm not bringing these heavy hitters in here to answer six questions and get them out of here in eight minutes. So I really hope you enjoy both the mini and the full length episodes. And thanks again for tuning in. That consistent, persistent changing and growth and development, you know, we took our income up. We were a couple hundred thousand a year at that point, you know, to seven figures plus, you know, saved a ton of money, grew our net worth significantly, you know, Lots of good financial things happen, but really, most importantly, there was a transformation in this dude with my spirituality, my energy, my focus, my relationship with my kids. I mean, it all turned around. But if I would have insisted on staying the same and rearranging the furniture on the deck of the Titanic, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't going to work. All branding is personal, and it's not about who you say you are. It's about who you are and how you say it. I'm Hirsch Repu, copywriter, comedian, and brand voice expert. I've helped hundreds of companies fine tune their messaging, and now I'm sitting down with some of the most ambitious and imaginative founders around who share their seven figure and eight figure stories and next figure goals. Let's hit the brand voice runway. Taking the brand voice runway today is Chris Felton. He's a 24-year entrepreneurial veteran, so to speak. And his thing is stuck. His thing is getting you unstuck. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about how you get to the next level. He's a financial services entrepreneur. He's also an author. His book is called Think and Grow You, How to Get Out of Your Own Way and level up your life. It's very straightforward title. And I think that says a lot about Chris because I think he's pretty, he is who he is. He's very direct. The personality you get is the personality that he brings to the table. And I think that really helps when people are trying to focus on how do they get out of the kind of, you know, stuck is a great word. Well, Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, Hirsch, thanks for having me, brother. It's awesome my, to be here. My pleasure, it is great to have you. Let's start with you being stuck and where, you know, because this is what happens. You know, we go through stuff, we learn ways to deal with it. We get ourselves in a, another space and then we feel like we want to share it. We want to help others. But tell us a little bit about what stuck meant for you. Yeah, the, the lowest point of my life was a financial services entrepreneur. We we're in the middle of the Great Recession. I'm fresh off a pretty painful divorce. My Kids are three and one. They're living on the other side of the country. My second current and last wife, in case she's listening, Marlo, <laughs> walked into a financial crap show that she didn't know anything about. And I was $250,000 in credit card debt. I signed a 6,000 square, square foot office lease I couldn't afford. I'm paying my ex-wife $5,200 a month in alimony and child support. And uh, I was pretty stuck. And so what woke me up was I had to come home and convince my wife to give me her money to pay my ex-wife. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife's five foot one. Everybody's scared of her. And <laughs> I turn my head for a second and I hear this. 
and her purse came flying over my head. (laughs) Yeah. She threw her purse and it exploded. She picked it up and she threw it again. She picked it up and she threw it again. And we were having the fight of our lives and cursing at me, cussing at me, you this, you that. She just could not believe that a CPA and a financial advisor could be that broke. Uh huh. And then I said, well, if it's so bad, why are we still together? Yeah. And then that went to total silence and she went upstairs to go figure out should she stay or should she go? And there I was, man, alone with my thoughts. And what I realized, the whole mess of my life at that point, the common theme was me. I was the common denominator to all the problems. And I had to quit. So I'm assuming a lot of entrepreneurs listen to your show, right? Yeah. But I had to get out of where the masses live, which is what I call hopium. And hopium is hoping things change while we insist on staying the same. Right. And, and I just realized then and there that I had to change. So cut to the chase, we came together the next day and she's like, we're staying together. We're not declaring bankruptcy. We're not getting divorced. I'm going to interview wealthy mentors. These are wealthy couples that we had access to. I'm going to figure out what they do and how they think. And then she was kind of like, you know, what are you going to do, Chris Felton? And it was like, I'm going to figure out how this keeps creating broke and stuck. And I just told her I was committed to changing my life. And, and as you know, most people are interested in success, but they're not fully committed to it. And she said, what does that mean to you? And I'm like, commitment to me means like, you know, an Olympic athlete treats their sport. That's how I'm going to treat my mindset and my mentality. So that's what I did. And we can get into the details of what I actually did. But what happened to us was uh, one of my favorite quotes of Mel Robbins is it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time that consistent, persistent changing and growth and development, you know, we, we took our income up. We we're a couple hundred thousand a year at that point, you know, to seven figures plus, you know, saved a ton of money, grew our net worth significantly, you know, lots of good financial things happen, but really most importantly, there was a transformation in this dude with my spirituality, my energy, my focus, my relationship with my kids. I mean, it all turned around. But if I would have insisted on staying the same and rearranging the furniture on the deck of the Titanic, yeah, (laughs) it wasn't going to work. Yeah. I would love for you to share some of what goes into getting unstuck and, you know, and maybe share a little of how you did it in that process. I'm a left brain guy. I'm like, you know, you and I were joking before. It's the George W. term, right? I, right. I need I need more strategy, right? Give me, <laughs> give me, give me some strategy. And right. and you know, that wasn't it. It was mindset. It was 100 percent mindset. And I was pretty good at giving pretty speeches on it, but I didn't 100 percent buy into it. And then I worked with a world-class coach for four and a half years. And the thing that woke me up, brother, was he said, Hey, Chris. Based on results, how is your way working? Yeah. I hated that question. The people I coach hate that question. But what he did was he snapped me out of this egoic need to be right, this egoic, right? Because we don't like to be told that it's not working, you know? And, And really the keys to getting unstuck are we have to humble down. Okay. We have to humble down. And it's a chapter in my book. It's called your need to be right will cost you your life. 
and I needed to be right. And it wasn't working. It didn't work in my first marriage. wasn't working in my second marriage. wasn't working in my business. wasn't working with my clients. And so we have to humble down. And then we, we, we have to have a plan to actually grow and change because it's not optional. It's really not optional, right? So one of the things that hurts us, brother, is we, as I start my, my book with my most favorite quote on this topic of being comfortable, and it's from an author named Jeff Shore, a life spent seeking comfort results in an entirely uncomfortable existence. Mm-hmm. A life spent seeking comfort results in an entirely uncomfortable existence. And so what that means is the masses, the middle class are addicted to comfort. And it's a road to nowhere. And we as humans created comfort. Right, right. There's no comfort in nature. Trees, grass, animals, they're either growing or dying. So if you're seeking comfort, there's no middle ground. You're either in growth mode or decay mode. If you're here, you're in decay. So it's really not even optional. The second, the third part of getting unstuck is we we have to do the work on us, we got to have a plan to do it. And then the fourth thing is we have to know that the work is going to be worth it. And that's where people get really stuck is they're like, well, what if I do all this stuff and then it doesn't pan out? And they, they spend this time in negotiating with their mind, which is the last thing you want to do. Once again, what, what the challenge is our ego, its job mainly is to keep us right where we are. That's it. It does not want to bump outside this, you know, comfort zone that everybody talks about. And it wants to tell you that's scary. That's Bob Proctor. I have a reference in the book. He calls it the terror barrier, right? And it's that moment when we're about ready to bust through and the ego creates this barrier of you can't, no, you can't pull, right? And then instead of busting through, we retreat like a rubber band. Yeah. And so- so we have to be right and we have to be right in accordance to our identity and how we see ourselves. And so if you don't do the internal work, you're never going to bust through it. So the need to be right satisfies the ego and satisfies you staying right where you are. The whole first pillar of my book is about getting out of your own way. And it's recognizing these self-sabotaging, unconscious behaviors and thoughts that happen, right? It's awareness. And the analogy I give, because I had to really pay attention, brother, because my back was against the wall. And the analogy I give is, you know, if somebody breaks into your home at three and three in the morning, like, how aware are you? Yeah. Like your, your senses are heightened and you're paying attention But when my coach was like, dude, you plus your thinking equals your results, your results suck, your thinking's not too good, you got to be aware. And Mm -hmm. so I just started becoming hyper aware, not beating myself up, not going down a rabbit hole, but I'm like, okay, when that thought pops up, instead of unconsciously going down a path of similar thoughts, similar feelings, similar actions, similar result, I'm going to consciously shift it to something that's going to serve me. And so that's the work people need to do is shifting that, the thinking, right? So I'd be in front of a total a-hole and I'm like, he needs to be right. Well, or I would be right or make them wrong. 
how do you feel when somebody makes you wrong and you right? It's it's not good. Right. People people move towards positive away from negative. And finally, I was just like, all right, dude, instead of reacting and doing what you normally do, just let them be right. And my ego didn't like it. Yeah. But it saved a lot of relationships. And what I talk about in the book is I want peace. Being right's overrated. Yeah. And that person on the other side who needs to be right is maybe just at that place at that moment. They haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. You know, let's shift a little to your business and your model and how, and practically speaking, when your mind was, you know, when you started figuring out, you know, all of these hangups, these things that have had held you back, the implementation of the new thinking for your model, for what you do, what were the first big things that changed so that that revenue could start to get back up? Well, I mean, the first thing was, and it's the most beat up topic in personal growth and development, and everybody talks about it. You, you got to know what you want. Mm -hmm. You got to be clear. You got to know your why. You got to do all why, that yeah. stuff, right? And so, so I would hear that from, you know, eight figure entrepreneurs. Right. Most entrepreneurs have no idea what their number one goal is. Yeah. And they can't tell you within three seconds and they can't tell you within 30 seconds why it's important to them. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They look for the strategy. Yeah. They look for the how-tos. They look for all that stuff. So anyway, so we got really clear as a couple, if you're single, it doesn't matter, but we created a unifying goal as a married couple, almost couple, no, almost no married couple. I'm like, Hey, what do you guys want? I don't know. Yeah. And so husband has an idea. Wife has an idea. They don't talk to each other because they're what? They're busy. So once I knew that, then my morning routine was about spending three to five minutes seeing it, imaging, visualizing it, living that out at the 60,000 foot level, and then putting that aside and then executing the five foot level, executing my game plan. Yeah. Right. Because people are like, how is it going to happen? Nope, nope, that's a trap. That's a trap of an ego, of the ego. It's, this is what I want. This is why I want it. I'm energized. I have a dream. And then I had to execute the plan. But because I was energized by that, then fear, doubt, worry, procrastination, drifting. No, I was on it, man, because I, yeah. I wanted to deliver that. But when you as a couple come together, you're not you're not two times more powerful, brother. You're 10 times more powerful. Yeah. That mastermind, I've seen it for 24 years. Couples that work together and do that stuff together, they infinitely, infinitely outperform the couple that lives in their silos. Sometimes we're frozen by fear. We're immobilized by expectation. You know, what have you found of the things that you put out there? You know, if you were one of those people, what would you find the most useful? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the first step is, you know, scheduling the time and sitting down, you know, whether you do that with yourself first and then your spouse second, but but the clarity of it. And the key is you got to have emotional drivers, right? I was I was coaching, you know, one of my agents this morning who, uh, you know, had a big event, had a bunch of people show up, hasn't followed up. Mm. Crazy, totally crazy. 
right? He thought the win was the event and everybody showed up to love him. Yeah. And then I said, he wasn't clearing his emotional drivers. You know, a lot of what, what I've done in my career has been about brand and brand voice. And it fascinates me to talk to entrepreneurs and coaches who have, you know, made an expertise of connecting because without connecting with the, with your client, you know, you can't help them, you know, whether it's one to many and they're reading your book or they're seeing you speak or you're working one-on-one or a workshop. How do they like, how are they, how do you draw them to you? How do you introduce yourself? How do you get out there? Where does the bond happen? I mean, you're talking about the book or my entrepreneurial business or yeah, in your, you between you and your and your customers, clients, audience. I like to say, yeah. I mean, it's kind of how you and I met. I'm a big networker. I just that's kind of fits my personality. You know, I don't love calling people that don't want to talk to me. Right. Like I'm not. I'm not that guy. But I'm really good at connecting with people and getting curious. Yeah. And listening, you know, and just just listen. There, there's no like intent other than just to be a human. And yeah. people want to be heard, dude. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be listened to. And that's been, I haven't always been that great at it. And I don't know how great I am now, but, but, <laughs> but, you know, we have 20,000 clients spread out across the United States and we've, we've done a good job, but it's, it's kind of that old fashioned, like people don't care how much, you know, so you know how much you care. Like that's, I want people to know that I'm, I'm there for them. I give a shit about them. I care about them. I want to help and serve them. Um, as I'm focused on growing and developing myself, I can bring more value to people's lives. And, and it's really that anytime I've put the focus on me and me, 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 I got a chapter in my book called give or taker. And it's an interesting personal development exercise I did way back in the day where right. I used to give in order to receive and I'd give. And, you know, if you give with an expectation of receiving, it's not a gift, it's a bribe, but right. I was a taker and mm-hmm. I wanted to be known as a giver. And so I don't know if I'm making sense, but like it's being impactful with everybody and figuring out what you can do to add value to that person and help and serve them. And, you know, I think the best definition of a brand is, you know, when people think of you, what do they think of? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you are making sense because the, the, the fact is that in a way, it's about us, but it's about us in the way that you described. It's about, I love when you said, I'm on, as I'm on my personal journey to improve myself and to grow, I have more to, you know, I'm paraphrasing you, obviously, but yeah, I have yeah. more to give the people that I'm trying to help, you know? So personal growth isn't a selfish pursuit. It's actually a shared, we're all here on this earth. The more the better person I am, the the more people benefit. You stated somewhere that you you want to help you know ten million plus people. You know that you want to have you have a vision of that's that's probably one of your dreams, right? Sure, absolutely. Now that your friend has kind of opened that door to dreaming, because yeah. that that's another thing we think. Oh, you know, dreaming. Okay, I want this house and this car and this thing and this shirt and these pants. You know, it's like. Once you give yourself license to dream, maybe your dreams are going to be more 
kind of noble than you thought, you know? But tell me about this reaching 10 million people. Yeah, no, I mean, you nailed a bunch there. It's, you know, I've, I've had this stuff. We, we just, my wife and I just went through a massive downsizing in lots of areas of our life, right? And I'm happier now living in this patio home that we're in now than <laughs> the 6,500 square foot, you know, ranch we had for, you know, a couple of years. I'm like, it's just crap. It's just, it's work and it's maintenance and all this garbage and it's not bringing any fulfillment. And, and the only way you find true fulfillment is through growth and contribution to others. That's it. You, everyone's looking for it and stuff. I call it looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. And I've tried it and I've seen pe- a lot of people make that mistake. It's just stuff, more stuff, different stuff, bigger stuff. And, and it's not growth contribution to others. And so, yeah, when I turned 50, I was depressed for, you know, a few days. I'm 51 now. And then, <laughs> and then uh, one, yeah. one of my, cha- one of my chapters in my book is called you're too young to be old. Yeah. And, and it's about really the prime of our lives. Our most productive years are from 60 to 70. Our second most productive is 70 to 80. Our third most productive time period in our lives is 50 to 60. Mm-hmm. And so from 50 to 80, you are really in your prime. And when I got off of that and I realized I wasn't going to get out of this thing alive, I just, you know, did the thing that's hard work, brother. It's sitting your ass down and thinking. And, yeah. and I just yeah. said, okay, what, dude, what is it? And the word that hit me was impact. Yeah. And then next day it was like 10 million people. It just flashed intuition. It felt good. It was a quiet voice. It wasn't an egoic rant. I'm like, okay, that's it. How am I going to do it? I don't know. And then, you know, 60 days later, my mentor shows up and is like, dude, heard you speak for 20 years. We got to get a book out. And yeah, he showed up, never thought about doing that, but yeah, that's it, man. I want to help 10 million or more people get unstuck and get on the path to the lives that they want. And that's massively fulfilling. That's great. And the last, and I think I want to kind of close the, the interview with or come around to is, so when you're, you've now, so when you have connected with people on one level or another, how does the relationship grow with an audience versus, you know, if you think of Bob Newhart as the psychiatrist on Newhart and he's got, you know, you've got that cast of characters, oh, right. right? I just popped into my head. I don't know why. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's good. I haven't thought it, of Bob Newhart in a long time. Well, that's there good. he deserves it. <laughs> but a little ca- cast of characters of, of patients that he had as a psychiatrist on the original show that, that I used to watch probably were reruns of when I, yeah. however I discovered them, but you know, those were very, those were a handful of people, right? Those days of having seven or 10 clients, whether you're an attorney or whether you're an accountant or whatever, you know, having a a kind of a finite, however many people you can meet with. And now there's so many other ways to connect, but how do you stay connected to those people? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think social media is huge. I mean, I don't know if I'm the most prolific social media guy, but, you know, I've, I've grown my following pretty significantly and just... You know, and I, I think it's putting out the content. I mean, my e- email list. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I've done 70 podcasts year to date. I mean, that's, you know, my goal moving forward is two to three of these a week, just to make sure this keeps me sharp on my message and my brand. And, and, and I think the important part is, 
and I always have to think about this is it's called the law of pure desire. And what's my pure desire? My pure desire is to serve and to help and to make an impact. But my ego can get the best of me too. And it can turn into, you know, why am I not monetizing more? Why am I not this? Why am I not on yeah. st more stages? Why am I why? And my ego wants it to become this external thing. And I just have to remind myself of if it's just the pure desire to help and serve, then my messaging is always going to be really good. If it's yeah. trying to force an outcome, if it's trying to get things from people. And like I said, I've, I've, I've made those mistakes, man. I'm, I'm very, very transparent in my book about how many times I was a dumbass in my life and what I did to change that. But so, you know, I think those platforms are, are good. I think podcasting is unbelievable way to get your message out and connect. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm also just intentional about introductions and giving and serving and just a lot of stuff that I lay out in my book of like, Hey, these are the keys that that work. And I just got to stay out of my own way and just keep service top of mind. And then everything usually works out. When I make it about me, it's usually the beginning of the end. If you've enjoyed this episode of Brand Voice Runway, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. The positive reinforcement keeps us going. Who am I kidding? Founders like us keep going regardless. Thanks so much for listening and make tomorrow greater than today.